A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust proof stainless steel hardware, weather ready teak, and quick dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. No, my pious and merciful brother, may God stand by you as well as by ourselves with a spirit coming from him, that we, the group of the brethren of purity and pure and noble friends, have been asleep in the cave of our father Adam for a long time, enduring the vicissitudes of time and misfortunes of existence. This was written by a group of scholars in the 10th century who called themselves the Ikhwan as Safa, which means the Brethren of Purity. Now, they are famous for a group of epistles that they wrote, probably in Basra, Iraq, in a fascinating period in the Middle East. Now, what is especially interesting about this group, aside from their writings themselves, is that we still actually don't know who they were. The 9th, 10th, and 11th centuries were a vibrant time for the so-called Muslim world, um, that is, lands that were ruled by Muslim leaders. The Abbasid Caliphate is often viewed as a kind of uh, golden age of science, philosophy, and learning. And there is some truth to this claim, because um, the Abbasid Caliphs were often patrons of science uh, and, and rational inquiry and, uh, and art as well. Uh, caliphs like Al-Ma'mun established and ran the Bayt al-Hikmah, the House of Wisdom in Baghdad, in which texts were translated from Greek uh, and, and people from different religious and cultural backgrounds came together to, to discuss uh, theological, religious, philosophical ideas. By the 10th century, there has started to develop a kind of orthodoxy, an Islamic orthodoxy, after centuries of debate regarding theological and legal and philosophical questions. Um, those who were more sort of opposed to rational inquiry and, and thinking were starting to gain more ground, and they were also the ones who often determined what this conceived orthodoxy was to become. Um, but in spite of this, philosophy and philosophers were still going strong, so to speak, and some of the most famous thinkers um, do appear around this time. People like Al-Farabi, uh, Ibn Sina, Ibn al-Haytham, al-Bayruni, and many, many more. 
It should be remembered that at this point, as in earlier periods, Islam and the lands ruled by its leaders was a diverse and multifaceted culture, with many competing ideas and claims to leadership. Not only were there competing uh, sort of political religious factions, such as the Alid, or so-called Shia, and Abbasid, or what would be later called Sunni, but also in terms of how revelation, the law, and its application should be viewed. It is in this historical context that the group calling themselves the Ikhwan As-Safa, or Brethren of Purity, appears. They are what could be called a secret society, or a brotherhood, of a few mysterious individuals, most likely from Basra, who would gather for secret meetings discussing philosophical and theological questions. Although there have been guesses and theories regarding the identity of these uh, scholars throughout history, they have remained anonymous as they sort of made a great point of never revealing who they actually were. Most of what we know about the Brethren come from what is called the Rasail Ikhwan As-Safa, or the Epistles of the Brethren of Purity, which is a collection of over 50 epistles or treatises written by them, each of which deals with specific philosophical subjects. This includes things like mathematics, cosmology, astronomy, music, the law, the soul, and many more. As one would expect, the Ikhwan are heavily influenced by Greek philosophy, and, and upon closer inspection, we it becomes pretty clear that they are especially fond of the school of Neoplatonism. This very strong affiliation with Neoplatonism do suggest something about their identity. Indeed, a lot of scholars do are, are sort of agree that the Brethren were most probably belonged at least to the Shia branch of Islam, based on some of their references to the Imams, the, the spiritual uh, leaders uh, of Shia Islam. In particular, the epistles suggest to a lot of scholars that the, the Brethren were Ismailis, which is the second largest branch of Shia Islam today. Um, which makes sense based on its contents, because the Ismailis were especially fond of Neoplatonism, even if most other Muslim theologians and philosophers were heavily influenced by it uh, at, at this time. Uh, the Ismailis were perhaps their greatest fans, the, the ones who, who adapted uh, most of those ideas. But what did they say, you may ask? What was the message of these epistles and the brethren? Uh, this is, of course, a very difficult question to answer, but we can try to grasp, in a general sense, the outlook of, sort of the general outlook of these very secretive individuals. A good source for this is actually in a quote by a Sunni scholar hostile to the group called Abu Hayyan al-Tawhidi, who seems to have an idea of who these people are, and states that, quote, one cannot assign him, some guy named Zaid ibn Rifa', to any such thing as a group because of his excited nature and ebullience sorry, in every domain. And one cannot tell what comes from the breadth of his insight and what comes from his powerful tongue. He lived in Basra for a long time and met there a group of people devoted to all kinds of sciences and arts. The group was characterized by harmonious relations and pure friendship, and met on the base of holiness, purity, and sincere advice. Between them they established a doctrine by which they claimed they would be able to get closer to winning God's approval and traveling to his paradise. For they used to say, the revelation has been soiled by ignorance and mixed with error. There is no way to wash and purify it except through philosophy, which united the wisdoms of the creed with the benefit of rational endeavor. 
Perfection would be reached, they held, when Greek philosophy and Arab revelation were joined. They composed 50 epistles on all parts of philosophy, both theoretical and practical, and attached a table of contents to them, calling them the epistles of the brethren of purity and loyal friends. End quote. Thus, we can deduce from this that the Ikhwan consider the Qur'an, the Islamic revelation, and rational philosophy not to be in opposition to each other, but to actually complement each other, and to be important complements for each other. Now, this wasn't entirely uncommon at this time, as many other Muslim philosophers would hold the same idea. But the Ikhwan adds to this that the religion of Islam has been ruined, even defiled, by the literalist-minded scholars who have led the people astray and, and sort of uh, get done away with rationality, which they consider to be a very important part of religion. The whole mission of the brethren and their writings is an idealist one, where they seek to mend this disease of ignorance that is plaguing the Muslim world, according to them, by reintroducing people to the complementary relationship of religion and philosophy and science, and by doing so purifying Islam to its pristine state. This was done through their secret meetings in which they discussed these questions and most likely performed certain spiritual practices together, perhaps similar to the developing Sufis of the time, and by writing the epistles for a larger audience of readers to help them on the spiritual and rational path. The brethren saw themselves as loyal friends who helped each other reach spiritual purity, and, as mentioned in the quote, to reach paradise. As you might expect, this didn't go over too well with some of the other Islamic scholars of the emerging orthodoxy. Um, they were often branded as heretics and as being outside of the fold of Islam. Uh, but others, especially the Ismailis, view the epistles of the brethren as highly important. Some have even called it uh, the Quran of the Imams, based on an idea that its author may have been one of the Imams himself. This skepticism towards the Ikhwan isn't all too surprising, given the fact that a lot of the ideas expressed in the epistles come off as very unusual and strange um, as interpretations of the Islamic revelation. Like other philosophers, they adhere to the Neoplatonic metaphysics of emanation, starting with the One, identified with God, who is completely unknowable and beyond attributes, followed by the intellect, the world soul, and continuing down to our material world. The human being is a microcosm, al-insan al-sarir, literally the small man, that perfectly reflects the macrocosm, that is the cosmos at large, al-insan al-kabir, the big man, an idea that was heavily used by later thinkers, for example Ibn Arabi has a very similar idea. The goal of this human being is to distance himself, or not get attached, to mundane material uh, worldly things, and instead focus on the spiritual and intellectual world of knowledge in order to have a blissful afterlife. Related to this, they also read and interpreted the Quran in very allegorical and metaphorical ways. So this sort of blissful or hellish afterlife um, is a spiritual one. So, so hell or, or paradise uh, are not actual locations, places, they are states of the soul on its journey back towards primeval unity in this sort of Neoplatonic uh, metaphysical uh, emanation scheme. And so what they did was use what's known as tawil, or esoteric interpretation, um, to deduce these secret and hidden meanings behind the uh, outer Quranic uh, verses and chapters, uh, something that is especially common in, in Shia Islam, and in particular also in Ismailism. The Ismailis were sometimes known as the Batiniya by their contemporaries. The Batin is this hidden uh, aspect of the Quran. And so they were, they were sort of named... Uh, 
because of their sort of uh, infamous uh, love for to- for Tawil and for Batten, so the hidden esoteric meanings rather than the outer uh, Zahir literal meanings. And this, this process of Tawil, esoteric interpretation, were often guided by the Imams themselves. So the Imams had the authority to know what was a what was a an authoritative, a legitimate interpretation in that sense. But in this allegorical interpretation is where they present some of the most surprising ideas. For example, the concept of barsakh, referred to in the Quran as a sort of middle stage between death and the final day of judgment, is interpreted by the Ikhwan to mean a kind of cycle of rebirths that sort of unpurified souls must endure until they reach perfection or the coming sort of the large day of judgment at the end of time. This concept of rebirth is somewhat different from that in Indian traditions, for example, um, since human souls never become animals, for example. Uh, But it does show you that uh, you can rarely say anything generalizing about any religion. The idea that Islam doesn't teach reincarnation would be agreed upon by most people, but here we see that there have been Muslims who have even considered this concept. They also view time as cyclical and use a lot of astrology to support this theory. The number seven is constantly recurring. For example, each cycle is made up of 7,000 years, after which there will be a mini day of judgment, sort of different from the larger proper day of judgment at the end of time. Um, And in this cycle of 7,000 years, each thousand years is associated with a prophetic cycle, that is a time when the law of a particular prophet reigns. So the first thousand years was the cycle of Adam followed by Abraham, then Moses, Jesus, and lastly Muhammad, associated with the current sixth cycle. The seventh cycle will begin at the coming of al-Mahdi, who will redeem the world before the 7,000-year cycle sort of come to its conclusion. They connect this theory to the story in the Quran and the Bible that God created the world in six days before resting or sitting on his throne on the seventh. This to them is a metaphor for these prophetic cycles that that the world goes through. And this is also thus a perfect example of tawil, of esoteric interpretation uh, as such. As crazy as this may sound, it's a rather common idea within Shiism and especially Ismailism, and it would actually be the basis upon which a lot of um, the sort of uh, groundwork of the Baha'i faith is based as well. There's plenty of other really fascinating aspects of the epistles and the ideas that are brought up in them. Um, they, they are sort of a collection or a synthesis of a whole myriad of different sources. Um, and this, in fact, is one of the most interesting and noteworthy aspects of the, the brethren, the Ikhwan, I think, which is their open-mindedness to, to, to knowledge from all kinds of directions. As I mentioned, they are highly influenced, of course, by Greek philosophy, not just Neoplatonism, but the Greeks in general. But they also take ideas from Persian philosophy, like Zoroastrianism, for example, and certain ideas from India, Indian thinking, especially when it comes to astronomy. Uh, A lot of Indian influences in terms of astronomy. And, of course, the sacred scriptures. These are also very important sources of knowledge for them. Um, And uh, also noteworthy is that this is not sort of exclusively the Quran. It is uh, also a much broader sort of range of, of scriptures. Indeed, the Quran is, of course, very important to the Ikhwan, as it is quoted constantly to support their ideas, but so is the Torah, the Psalms, and the Gospels. To the brethren, knowledge was knowledge, and was always valuable. 
quote, Now you must know that the sciences based on human wisdom and those based on prophetic revelation are fields of study which agree about the aim they pursue, the fundamental point, while disagreeing about the ramifications, end quote. This fundamental point being the purification of the soul, which can be reached by revelation or by philosophy, or more specifically in this case, by a combination of both of these. When it comes to these sacred scriptures, there is little discrimination here. Of course, the Quran is the most important and exalted of the scriptures, but the others, like the Torah and the Gospels, are also considered equally authoritative. The author, whose name I will now butcher by saying, Godfreud the Calate writes, quote, that the brethren clearly do think that the Quran ranked above philosophical writings, they just did not think that it did so alone. All revealed books here occupy the same level in the hierarchy of knowledge. All are superior to literature produced by ordinary humans, and all seem to be endowed with the same authority." End quote. But it should also be remembered that the knowledge that were conveyed and discussed by the Ikhwan was not meant for everyone, but specifically for sort of brothers and for educated people. Indeed, the Ikhwan does divide society into certain categories, starting with the sort of common uneducated masses who only follow the outer aspects of the law. Secondly, there are those who are capable of interpreting revelations and the law, like theologians and jurists. And lastly, the group that the brethren themselves belong to, the so-called chosen few, who had mastery both of religious sciences and rational ones, which they could combine to study the, uh, the hidden secrets or the hidden sciences of religion. As such, the Ikhwan were highly skeptical and hostile towards the legalistically and literalist-oriented Muslims of their day, who they viewed as hypocrites and ignorant. The law was necessary, of course, on a societal level, and they affirmed its importance, but the law itself wasn't able to carry the person all the way to the higher truths. It was only there as a medicine for sick souls, as they say, and was thus the lowest form of religion. Uh, mostly meant for those uneducated masses in the first category. True religion was the hidden secrets, hidden sciences, that they studied. In spite of their apparent elitism and the, not to mention the very uh, sort of uh, unorthodox ideas and unusual ideas they present in the epistles, the Ikhwan, the Brethren of Purity, have been a hugely influential group of people throughout Muslim history. Indeed, in medieval times, most well-educated people had read the epistles. This includes people like Ibn Sina, Al-Bayruni, Surah Wardi, and even someone like Ibn Taymiyyah read them. Even if they may seem wacky and strange at times, the, the Juan must be admired for their huge undertaking in the epistles and their willingness to combine knowledge of religion and philosophy, and also of course their mastery of both of these fields. Indeed, their open-mindedness to many different sources of knowledge uh, allowed them to come up with some very original ideas, and this uh, sort of spirit of syncretism should, I think, be admired in itself. They themselves wrote, Quote, know this, my brother, we are not opposed to any science. We do not cling fanatically to any doctrine, and we do not keep ourselves away from any of the books that the sages and the philosophers have written or composed on the various sciences. As for the support, assistance, and foundation of our cause, they are the books of the prophets, revelation which they have set forth, as well as the information, inspiration, and revelation passed to them by the angels. I'll see you next time.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.